1: Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.
2: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products.
0: Today is a very special episode of the Psychology Podcast. A few nights ago, the legendary psychiatrist Dr. Aaron Tempkin Beck passed away peacefully in his sleep at the age of 100 years old. Tim, as his friends and family affectionately called him, lived an exemplary, full life well lived. Personally, he was a dear mentor and friend of mine. I used to live in the building next door to him in Philadelphia, and we'd have tuna sandwiches together on Sundays at his place and have all sorts of discussions, including discussions about humanistic psychology and how to treat patients as humans first. He was always so encouraging on my work, and I enjoyed our discussions about his life and work immensely. I will miss his amazing bow tie, our fist bumps together, and his sharp mind, which lasted all the way until the end. In my last in-person meeting with him just before the pandemic hit, I handed him a microphone and asked if he would talk about what research he was most excited about these days and whether he could give any advice to young psychologists. That recording is what you will hear today on the podcast. Remarkably, Tim worked all the way up until his death. To many, he is most known for his work in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a time-sensitive, structured, present-oriented psychotherapy that has been scientifically tested and found to be effective in more than 2,000 studies for the treatment of many different health and mental health conditions. When implemented correctly, CBT can help individuals get better and stay better. Not many people know this, though, but Tim's work was much more than the seminal work he did pioneering CBT. Tim was recently working on a new form of psychotherapy with his colleagues Ellen Inverso and Paul Grant, called recovery-oriented cognitive therapy, which deeply humanizes psychiatric patients. Guided by Tim's cognitive model, recovery-oriented cognitive therapy is an evidence-based practice that provides concrete, actionable steps to promote recovery and resiliency. Originally developed to empower individuals given a diagnosis of schizophrenia, recovery-oriented cognitive therapy applies broadly to individuals experiencing extensive behavioral, social, and physical health challenges. It is a highly collaborative, person-centered, and strengths-based approach, as it focuses on developing and strengthening positive beliefs of purpose, hope, efficacy, empowerment, and belonging. The approach is specifically formulated and effective for individuals who have a history of feeling disconnected and distrustful of service providers, who are not help-seeking, or who experience challenges that impede action towards aspirations the reach of recovery-oriented cognitive therapy extends to mental health professionals across all disciplines, families and loved ones, and peers with lived experience. One other thing I'd like to mention before we get to today's episode is the Beck Institute. In 1994, Tim and his daughter, Dr. Judith S. Beck, founded Beck Institute as a 501c3 nonprofit with the mission of improving lives worldwide through excellence and innovation in cognitive behavioral therapy training, practice, and research. In 2019, Beck Institute opened the Beck Institute Center for Recovery-Oriented Cognitive Therapy to train professionals and staff who work with individuals given a diagnosis of a serious mental health condition, such as schizophrenia. Beck Institute honors the legacy of Dr. Aaron Beck by providing training and resources in both CBT and CTR to people around the world. In the nonprofit's 27-year history, Over 28,000 health and mental health professionals have received training in CBT or CTR through a variety of programs. You can help honor Dr. Aaron Beck's legacy by making a gift to the Aaron T. Beck Fund at Beck Institute. This enables the organization to continue Dr. Beck's latest work with the Center for CTR at Beck Institute, develop programs, fund scholarships for trainees, and everything in between. The Beck Institute website can be found at beckinstitute.org. Okay. Now, without further ado, I bring you our guest today, Dr. Aaron T. Beck. I have a mic, and yeah, we're just. Gonna, do you want? So, do you want to take this? It's right here, and just put it as close to your mouth as possible. Okay. Okay. And just uh, say hello, 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 hello. Yeah, I think this would be good. Hello, hello. No, this is great. Okay, so. Tim Beck it's so great to be here with you today such a legend in the field of psychology and one of my personal heroes I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the work you're up
3: to. I've been working with two Psychologists one of whom is Paul Grant and we've been working together for the last 20 years and he formed one of three groups that I was supervising so his group was Uh, eventually in severe mental illness. And uh, then there was a a second group which had to do with the application of cognitive therapy to the community. And then the third has to do with the prevention of suicide. And there has been a uh, transformation in the department so that uh, while well, I'm still supervising the other two Paul Grant having departed the department with his group and gone to the Beck Institute mm-hmm. uh, despite that I I'm uh, still supervising the three teams but the team that I'm most interested in is the uh, is Paul Grant's team okay? Now, he's been working with a severely mentally ill. Uh, he and his group. they have been w- actually developing a, a new treatment which they are calling uh, recovery-oriented cognitive therapy. Mm. And the way that got started was around 2011 the commissioner of mental health for the city of Philadelphia said he had to give a talk at the APA and uh, it was going to be about recovery orientation. And I said, well, I haven't worked uh, with addicts uh, in the field of addiction for a long time. And he said, oh, well, this is a different type of recovery, this is not the old-fashioned recovery, but this has to do with an improvement and well-being, socialization, doing things that are worthwhile in one's own head and creative and enjoyable and so on. And he said that this is where we want our mental patients to be. Mm. And I said, well, that's a great... Goal. But how, how do you propose to get them from lying around in the unit, hearing voices, or uh, maybe smearing things around? And uh, I say, how do you get them from this highly regressive state to the uh, state of recovery? And he said, well, that's your job. So okay, so... That's a challenge. That's a challenge. So ever since then, we've been working with mental patients and we have gradually developed a treatment which is based on the recovery being the outcome of the treatment. But of Mm -hmm. course, the treatment itself involves much more than just having an outcome. And so the... uh, we had written uh, we had written a book and had a contract on uh, evidence-based therapy for the mentally ill. Around 2012, the, the book was finished, but it was not recovery-oriented. It was like the old-fashioned cognitive therapy. Mm. And then Paul, and then one of his students who now became his associate worked on writing up a new book. Uh, and this new book has been completed and it's in the hands of the publisher right now. and this new book describes in detail just what the uh, therapy is like. And so, This is the idea of the therapy. You first try to find out what the person's aspirations are. I love that. And you go over it and over their aspirations and how they would feel about meeting their aspirations. And when they really have their aspirations fixed in their own mind, their motivation to reach that uh, area becomes increased, and the, uh, the next thing that we do is we try to find out what the individual sweet spot is. So every individual that we've had has something that he's really good at, so something that they have done in the past. Uh, and we find that they're actually doing it in the present, but it has gone unrecorded. So we we tell the staff, between this week and next week, I want you to tell us how the patients are acting at their best. And they say, oh, they're, they're never at their best. They're always hitting other people. They're throwing food around. they're in a corner hallucinating. So we say, okay, well, just keep your eye open. And then we found out that in a uh, unit of 14 patients, they're all 14, had an an experience at their best
4: Mm.
3: when they seemed to be completely normal. And so this was the key thing. And so one person would be teaching dancing to some of the other patients. Another one would be drawing pictures of the uh, other patients. Another person was making a souffle for them. And the interesting thing is when they are in their sweet spot, then they seem particularly normal. And, and actually, Paul has objected to the word normal. Mm. I was going to ask uh, And so that. we use the word adaptive.
4: Adaptive.
3: So they are adapting totally mm. to this. And during this period of adaptation, Uh, It's apparent that these people are perfectly capable of behaving adaptively, that they have not, despite their apparent craziness, uh, they they have not lost at all their ability to be, quote, normal Mm. or adaptive. So, my task a few weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago, was to write a paper explaining uh, the adaptiveness of these people. And uh, we said, and so the title, the initial title of the paper would be Adaptiveness in uh, uh, severely mentally ill.
0: Hmm.
3: Are most Isn't of them it? schizophrenic? Or
0: the, all sorts of different things?
3: Well, so there are only two categories of patients those who are diagnosed as schizophrenic. Okay. And uh, they are hearing voices and then delusional. Okay. The other type that go in. Uh, are in the hospital because they are assaultive. And this is uncontrollable on the outside. I see. So they're assaultive or self-injurious. And so in the self-injurious, they're taking, they swallow hard objects like forks Mm. and knives. And uh, a, a couple of the people who we have uh, demonstrated widely uh, came from where they're actually near death. They were going back and forth for surgery to the hospital, and they're now uh, uh, accommodated. So anyhow, getting back to the theory, I wanted to uh, prepare a theory as to why these people got better. And then, as I looked at the cases, it seems that y- you do try to activate uh, their... Humanity. Uh, excuse me?
0: Activate their humanity. Yeah. In
3: a way, Well, right? we activate their humanity and it turns out that they love doing things for patients wow. for for the other patients or for the staff. That they they have a strong urge to do things for other people and when they are doing these things they are totally adaptive. However this does not last, mm. otherwise they'd be out out of the hospital within a week. But the therapy consists of extending the period of adaptiveness uh, sort of day by day. And We we, uh, we do a lot of the work with the staff rather than with the patients per se. Mm -hmm. And the staff then gets the patients much more into the adaptive mode And so I then developed a theory of modes, and the idea is that the personality consists of various sexes. And you see these modes in a wide variety of cases. For example, in multiple personality disorder, which I, I think is a real disorder. The people can operate at times being very hostile and belligerent when they're one person. And when they shift to a, another person, uh, they, they change the name and they are, say, humble, self-effacing, mm. very passive. And and working with these people, we realize that these are different aspects of the personality, and this is something that we've labeled modes. And uh, the mental patients are perfectly capable of getting into an adaptive mode, then try to provide opportunities for them to remain in this mode. So the next step in my theorizing is I think of what is the function of personality? And these modes seem to be very adaptive. And the modes are different sexes of the personality.
4: Mm.
3: So my next step was I came to the conclusion that the function of personality in general is adaptation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the function, but the people, because of their constructions of things, uh, are in maladaptive modes. Mm -hmm. And so the therapy consists of changing from, and we're doing an experiment now in which we, we recognize that people are not going to believe uh, that this is happening, although administrators of hospitals believe, that the profession
4: mm-hmm.
3: won't believe it. So w- we uh, uh, purchased a headset, and uh, the headset measures the EEG, mm-hmm. and we put the headset on when they're at their worst, and then when they're solidly in the adaptive mode. And already, we see that there's a change, that a different part of the brain is activated when they're in the adaptive mode. Wow. That's huge. So, so that is terrific. And, and so that's the subject of our paper so we can't wait to read it yeah and I I would appreciate your feedback Paul had a number of very good suggestions for the paper I I was using words like normal and so on he says that's too loaded an expression and a lot of people will reject the use of the word normal (laughs) I think so yeah so we use the word adaptive
0: I like adaptive or um, constructive. <laughs> yeah.
3: Right. So when they're doing constructive things, they're in the adaptive mode. Yes. And uh, so my very latest has to do with looking back at how the original therapy depicted itself and how a new therapy self-depicting, and also the third type of therapy, which has to do with breathing exercises or distancing oneself or something that's called cognition. So I think that the therapy that we're doing uh, with the hospital and patients is inevitable because uh, they are not capable of the, the uh, type of discussions that were part and parcel of the original therapy. So we can call the new therapy recovery oriented therapy or. We, we, we can uh, call it by uh, the fact that people become better adjusted, so that's one type of therapy. The original therapy was based mostly on the individual's distortions and, and the negative biases about their experiences. And so the original therapy, which is now being practiced by by and large by the people I have trained prior to Paul Grant, so that therapy is based on negating the negative biases or correcting the maladaptive Constructions of situations, and the third type, the third approach, which I think is valuable, has to do with the breathing uh, exercises that people do, mm. and it seems that uh, that by being occupied with their breathing, the people are able. Distance themselves from the negative constructions of situations. So, I therefore promoting the idea of three therapies, mm. and we don't know as yet what the application of the initial therapy was. Uh, and that is a changing the misconceptions of people and how efficacious that's going to be in regards to uh, the more humanistic and holistic therapy that I've been talking about today. Love it. And we also don't know the full application of the breathing exercises. Which has become very popular, and there has to be some validity to it. Mm. So, so that's it. That's all I know. Do you know
0: what? I, that's not all. That's not all. You know, <laughs> I just want to say something about the humanistic approach you're taking. When you started your career, you were influenced by some of the humanistic psychologists, right? Like Abraham Maslow and Karen Horney, and. Mm. Ferris, folks, you told me that uh, they were they the Carl Rogers. They 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 had an impact on you,
3: right? Well, they did, but uh, the structure of my therapy was more in correcting the negative, right, rather than accentuating the positive,
0: right. But it sounds like now you've you've really uh, kind of well, come with, full circle in a way.
3: Yeah, yeah, I've come full cycle. Yeah, as far as the severe inpatients, but we still have to see. Uh, Where the three approaches uh, have an application. Sure.
0: You're such a treasure. And, you know, I just wonder if you have any advice to any young psychologists that want to make an impact in the world, such as you have. So,
3: I can't look back to uh, the impact and what I did to make that. Impact, but I would say that I learned from my patients and then I would figure out what was going on in the patients and what the mechanisms were. For example, uh, I observed that depressed people would be very self critical after they had an event. Uh, that uh, that impinged it, impinged on their self-esteem, and so I then would use a technique uh, such as uh, looking at the distortions, and then I would test the shot in the laboratory. And when that worked, then I would write up a syllabus. And when I found a publisher, then I would publish the syllabus as a book. Hmm. So what I would propose to the budding Young psychologist yeah. is you have to... You have to see the raw material. You have to see individuals. And it could be as simple as being in a counseling center. But you have to get your raw material from your observations. Then you have to test out what the evidence is that you have discovered the truth. And then you have to demonstrate that... Your approach actually makes the people better. Mm. And then when you've done that, then you go on to the next problem, next disorder. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. You
0: ready for lunch? So now I'm going to have my lunch. uh. Let's do a little fist bump (laughs) saying it's the end of the The, episode. Thank you. uh, Do you want to eat a little
3: bit? which is the eating and tell me about what you've
0: been So in case we don't uh, record anymore, let let me just say, um, say, thank you so much for sharing that with me and your latest work. I think it's going to be so foundational and help so many
3: people. Thank you for talking with me. Oh,
0: good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the psychology podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com. That's thepsychologypodcast.com. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity.
1: This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Antibas.